I started to notice weird things happening with my kids. I said, um, give me a kiss goodnight. And he went, no, you need to ask my consent. And I was like, do I? And he said, yeah, at school they say you've got to ask consent. And I said, I'm your dad. And he said, yeah, but you still have to ask consent. And I went, okay, we're, we're going to have a little lesson on consent here. Yeah. How do people who are trying to raise awareness of certain issues have a conversation and what is the best way to approach it? You know, if you give ground to sort of things like non-binary and stuff like that, if you don't just ridicule it immediately, 10 years down the line, it's going to be, you will have given the ground and we'll be dealing with something else in the Bible that says love your enemies. I, because I think just as a philosophical and emotional exercise, it is absolutely where your brain should be. Mm-hmm. How can I find love for them? If I can love them, then I can listen to them. I see the same tactics now starting to be used. And that, I think, should worry us, actually. Well, I couldn't agree with you more because there's, a, there's an appetite for revenge yes. that yes. comes when those tactics are used. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our returning guest today is an actor, presenter, politician. He's a man of many talents. Lawrence Fox, welcome back. Hi guys, how are you doing? It's been a while. It has been a while and you've been up to quite a lot in the time that we haven't spoken. So the first time we spoke, you were an actor... And was musician? I still? A, oh, yeah. You were. I, you, you were my. Um, I broke my cancellation virginity with you. You did. You did. I, we had nothing to do with that. Just for the record, <laughs> you did it all by yourself, Lawrence. I know. Um, and uh, then we spoke to you after all of after you went on question time and etc. And since that time, as I said, you you've stood for London Mayor. You're now a presenter on GB News. You've started the Bad Law Project and the Reclaim Party. So you've been up to quite a lot. I have, indeed. It's been, it's been a pretty busy time. And it gets, seems to get busier and busier all the time as well. But yeah. it's, um, it's good. I think it's, a, I think it's, I was thinking the other day whether I missed acting, which I sort of do because it's my heart and soul and I love it. But um, I was also thinking what happened, could I go on a film set anymore? Would people run screaming away? Probably not the sparks and the chippies and your average people, but the closer you get to the camera, how much it go like, <gasps> no, fascist, run. So, um, yeah, it's uh, certainly been a, quite a substantial change. Yeah. Well, once you get involved in politics, these things inevitably happen, don't they? Yeah. But I don't, I'm, I don't really want to be involved in politics. I want to be involved in culture. So... Um, the politics side of it, I'm less interested in. Oh, you are? Yeah. Because, I mean, you stood for, for London Mayor and you, you started a party. So it's difficult to... <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it's kind of hard to... Well, no, but I think, you know, the standing for London Mayor thing was, I was so... F- I'm still so fed up with the way Sadiq Khan treats people and I'm, you know, I'm fed up with the way a lot of people are treated. You know, the Oxford thing, I was there the other day um, at the march when the, they'd surveyed all their local residents as to whether they wanted their sort of 15-minute city and being able to travel 100 times a year and 90% of them said, no, we don't. And they said, well, we're putting it in anyway. So I was, you know, my my ticket for the London mayor with my I, PR people at the time, I said, I'm going to stand for London mayor. And they went, you're going to get 2%. And I went, no, I'm not. It's locked down. Get ready for power. I got 1.9%. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen to listen. your PR people. Yeah. <laughs> you're fired. Yeah. But Lawrence, if you're interested in culture, then why have you gone down the political route? 
Because you do have to have that threat at the end of the day. I mean, I don't think it is ever going to be a substantial threat, but you've got to have, you've got to go. You can't be all bark and no bite. But actually the biggest changes that we've managed to achieve have been cultural and on the ground sort of activism stuff. You know, the Hampshire police thing with the, with the, uh, pride flag swastika which mm. got me as neil oliver described it us like a uh us like a vc in bar transphobe and anti-semitic at the same time mm-hmm. so um but we did get the chief constable of hampshire police removed and actually she she dropped off her uniform this morning that was her last day in office and let's go into that. So the people who don't know, what actually happened around that story? So I posted the meme that had been, I mean, apparently it had been around for a while, but I hadn't seen it of uh, during Pride Month of the four uh, progressive Pride flags. Mm-hmm. I think it's even got even more progressive now. There's a ring, there's a circle in it. It's even more migraine-inducing, mm-hmm. uh, which happens to form the shape of Zostka as uh, the po- making the point that there is only one flag one cannot criticise, and mm-hmm. that is the Holy Pride flag. And um, I did it because I thought, I bet you this will get me in trouble for criticising the pride flag mm-hmm. and, you know, adding in the fact that it was, you know, you couldn't also criticise the, the only other flag that it was illegal to criticise, I believe, was the, uh, or to face in any way, was the Nazi flag. Mm-hmm. So I thought, it's double bubble. And true to form, you know, social media went mental and uh, I had to remove it for hateful content. content. But what then happened is someone else shared oh, yes. it on their Facebook. <laughs> yes, you getting in trouble is very interesting. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, but I, let's be fair, it's not it, a unique incident. It's not all about me. <laughs> um, yeah, so a guy called Darren Brady, who is an ex-Green Jacket, uh, posted it and he posted it on Facebook and just went, what are your thoughts? So he wasn't saying, he was actually just trying to get a debate started. Anyway, he got visited by the police on a Sunday morning, three of them came in knocking on his door on, you know, he lives on a quiet road and it's, you know, wise three people, you know, neighbours looking out, curtain twitching. And um, he got visited by the coppers. He said, I'm, you know, I'm not available to talk now. And then he called the Bad Boar Project and we went down with um, the ever tactful Harry Miller and myself went down with Alex to film them the police as they rearranged the appointment and the police being the police weren't expecting that and um instead of de-escalating they they upscaled so we ended up i think with about 11 coppers by that time and um darren was arrested harry was arrested um i was walking around going i was the one that did it in the first place arrest me but they refused to arrest me and um at the end of the day it made it went a bit mental around the internet and um it cost the chief constable her job do you know what? When I was watching it, my my initial thought was, this is the weirdest version of Beatles about I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Imagine police turning up somewhere and then Lawrence Fox comes in. Well, that's what we did. We literally walked out of the kitchen <laughs> and we were like, I, I mean, Harry would go straight in because yeah. it is, his bugbear is the police. And yeah. I think he's really correct in that. Mm. You, know, you don't want political police force. Not a good sign of where society's going if you've got political police force. So, yeah, but what was so strange is they couldn't de-escalate it. They, mm. they, all they did was they got it more and more wound up. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't good for them. It was a bad day for the police. And it, and it put on pe- in people's minds the fact that, you know, are you dealing with an impartial policeman who's policing without fear or favour? Or are you dealing with a political police force that polices one set of people different from another, which is what we've got in this country? Well, so I'm, I'm curious about the approach then because changing the culture yeah. uh, 
I mean, I and there's been a lot of conversation about the smaller parties in the yeah, UK, yeah. Uh, sort of right of centre parties like Reform, Your Party, Reclaim. Uh, there's others that you know they don't all roll off the tongue as easily. <laughs> but, but 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 the heritage. There's there's always conversation about how they should come together. UKIP, whatever is left of that, the, the whatever. Uh, you know, coming together and orchestrating some sort of actual rebellion. But you don't think that's really the way to change anything? Well, my my thing is, again, you know, in the fact that I don't really like being political, I would much rather we return to a semblance of a, a, a solid left, which mm-hmm. was a traditional left, not a mad woke left that we've got at the moment, and a sort of solid-ish right. And so I would always much rather put pressure on the Conservatives to be Conservative than I would nick 600 votes or whatever you know, these little parties are going to do, which is to which is to put a Labour government in, which might be a problem. So I'm more interested in project make Conservatives conservative again than I am in make Lawrence in charge of anything. Because, you know, as my funder said, primary funder said, uh, when I ran for London Mayor, he said, no one would want you in charge of the tube. <laughs> no one. So I think it's more, you know, culturally you can you can create a bigger change, and also it's waking people up to stuff, you know, because my my passion and Harry's passion is policing. My passion is education because obviously I've got two kids in school, and I started to notice weird things happening with my kids. So the first one was my eldest son a few years ago. I said, um, "Give me a kiss good night or a hug good night, whatever," and he went, "No, you need to ask my consent." And I was like, do I? And he said, yeah, at school they say you've got to ask consent. And I said, I'm your dad. And he said, yeah, but you still have to ask consent. And I went, okay, we're going to have a little lesson on consent here. Consent is don't touch a stranger's private parts, all right? That's consent. Don't touch, invade someone's space in that part. I'm your father. So anyway, I wrote to school and I said, what's going on here because he's obviously not understood consent and they said well we don't really get to the sexual part of it until later and I said well you can take it from me I've just taught both of my children consent mm. lesson one in about five minutes and then I noticed that um you know I started going okay well where is this stuff coming from so it comes out of relationship sex education classes and PSHE and stuff like that so I, I got some lesson plans from another school and found out what was on it which is privilege skin colour privilege, gender ideology, um, diversity, equity and inclusion, all of the things that you just don't want kids being taught at a young age when they're confused as it is. And so I thought we've got to change that. So we're going to do that as well. That's what we, we're, which is our next sort of cultural project, which is going to be called Bad Education. We just like to put bad in front of everything. <laughs> but I just feel it's a better idea. Mm. Yeah. So th- that being the case, although your children are in private school, yeah. And I think, and this is anecdotally, but it's far worse in private school than it is in state school because I've got friends whose children are in private schools and they say exactly the same thing as you. Yeah, I think that the guilt... Well, you know, is it true, I was reading this the other day, that all um, sort of revolutionary movements start in the upper middle, privileged middle class, you know? And I think that's it. There's a lot of guilt in that school. And they, you know, there's a lot of... They, they do talk about how do I talk to my kid about race and stuff like that. And I'm like, don't have that um, chat because they're all... Obviously, these kids are all a multitude of different ethnicities. And you should go, how do I talk to my kid about the fact that he's a fucking millionaire? Mm. And he's going to bump into a load of 
people that aren't yeah. in life. So it's it, there's a huge amount of guilt in private schools. And I also wonder whether you'd find, you know, what the ratio of, you know, young trans children would be in inner city poverty-ridden schools mm. as well. I don't imagine it would be as high as it is in posh um, woke schools. And the problem is as well is that they infuse this ideology into the curriculum whilst at the same time ignoring what the school should actually be there for, which is to educate and teach. Yeah, well, it also it, it leaks out of it as well. So you'll have Pride Month or something like that, but people won't take the flags down. So it's sort of it's always there, or Black History Month. It's always you know it, things remain, and I think it's really divisive, and I don't like it. And as you say, kids need to be taught to be actually kids need to be taught to be confident to speak their minds. That's the most important thing you can give a child to do, and um, they don't really need to be sort of brainwashed into being good little comrades, which is essentially what they what they what school can be about a lot. Fortunately, my kids have got me, which is probably quite a pain for them um, <laughs> in a lot of ways. And a lot of the parents do part like the Red Sea when I walk into school, <laughs> uh, except one black dad who goes, all right, racist! And I go over and give him a hug. So it's quite fun. But it's, um, it's strange. The, the, the education system is strange. Well, you joke about it, Lawrence, but you've obviously, since you first came on our show, you've attracted a lot of negative attention and criticism and column inches and you, I, I, as your friend, I will say you put your foot in it regularly yourself. And sometimes I open to it and go, <laughs> <laughs> mate, did you really? You had to say it like that? Yeah. Like, how, I mean, are you okay? Like, you, I saw you tweet something saying, you know, it's the first time I've not been anxious for a long time and, and whatever. Yeah. You know, how, how, has, how has this been experienced? The whole thing has been for you as a person. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about you and I and, you know, when we used to walk around Ruskin Park with my dad, do you mm, remember? Yeah. It's like in this desire to try and get a conversation going, you need different sorts of mm-hmm. activators. And my activation technique is to go bang. That's what I, that's one of my ways of doing it on social media. And obviously in this experience you've got more time to express it but you you need to go look i'm standing against you so strongly and you've taken a different approach which is to you know is to make sure you know i read your thread this morning about putin's speech you take your time to get it down there and you have your substack and all this sort of stuff i'm just using twitter to go by the way guys there's a wall here that you don't get to cross and i will defend with with you know not with sort of word violence if, if you know what I mean? So uh, in terms of, am I okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I am okay. I'm like, uh, I had a, I had a difficult end to last year personally. So that was when I got um, anxious and then I got, I got put on these um, anti-anxiety pills and I couldn't get off them. So I had to start running and I managed to run myself out of anti-anxiety. You ran away from the anxiety. Well, I just, it was the only thing that could do it. And who would have thought that there was a, an anti-anxiety tool right there in front of you? Uh, <laughs> and all you had to do was put on a pair of trainers and right. it works a treat. Well, that, that's good to hear. But I'm curious about, because we're, we're uh, as we sit here right now, and this video will go out uh, later, but we're, we're in a similar debate with Matt Walsh about yeah. how do people who are trying to raise awareness of certain issues... Uh, have a conversation and what is the best way to approach it? And him and you would say, you know, you, you, you come out and you, you're, you're as, as fighting and as strong as you, as you can be and you articulate the truth without, you know, being overly nice and whatever. Um, and as you say, we, we've, we, we've done that in the past ourselves, but now we're thinking about 
what, what is the most effective way to make an impact. Mm. So I'm open to be persuaded that sort of going out and punching is, is the right way. But what, what, what do you think is achieved by doing that versus the, the approach that perhaps we look at? Well, it's a variety. Uh, you, what you need is a broad church in resistance to the suppression of free expression. So it, I think there's room for both approaches. Mm -hmm. And I think actually you need both approaches. I think Matt Walsh and what he's saying, if you think about it, you know, if you don't draw a line at some point, mm -hmm. and his line he's very firmly chosen, which is that he would kill, I mean, I think he almost said he'd kill someone who tried to indoctrinate his child into gender ideology. Mm -hmm. Like He's really hardcore about it, and that's his belief, and he has every right to it. If you give ground, you'll get, you know, if you give ground to sort of things like non-binary and stuff like that, if you don't just ridicule it immediately... Mm. You're, you're uh, 10 years down the line, it's going to be you will have given the ground and we'll be dealing with something else, you know. So, my position is hold the line over stuff that really, really matters to you. Now, yeah, there's a debate to be had about how one holds the line, mm. and mm. you know, but I think actually it's quite a broad church, so you can have, you can have the, the more complex way of expressing it and then you can have the you know here you go mate in one sentence this is what i feel you know because you see how things are starting to seep into our culture that haven't been in our culture particularly mm. certainly like when i was in oxford on the weekend antifa were there and i haven't seen them i haven't seen them at any other protests i've been to mm. so you know and we've got lots of other debates coming in which has never been a problem in the uk abortion's now suddenly a big deal in the mm. uk it's never been a problem in the uk well we import all this crap from america know, obviously uh, but i suppose the reason i'm asking is <clears throat> like you are a hate figure to a lot of people now because right? i'm a posh white bloke who doesn't mind talking about anything and that's I think I that's why people like you as well. Yeah. You know, you, and I've said this about you, whether you and I have agreed about stuff or not. Like, of all the people we've ever had on the show, you actually have uh, probably as much cut through as anybody with the ordinary person in this country, in my experience. Like, I remember in our old studio that you came to, I used to park my car in this underground garage run by a very uh, normal woman. Just, you know, she just runs this garage. That's all that she does. She's not an intellectual who's interested in, you know, queer theory or whatever. Yeah. And with the moment she found out we'd interviewed you, that was it. She, she thought I could park there anytime for free. She'd pay me to park there. You know? <laughs> that, that's what it was like. Uh, so you have that cut through, I think. I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm just genuinely trying to explore this with you is like, if, if you express things in a way that makes it easy for people to paint you as hateful, which I don't think you are, no. but people can paint you that way, then it sort of gives ammunition to the Antifas of the world, I suppose, is, would be an argument. They would do it anyway, though. You know, uh, like mm. I was painted as hateful the minute I opened my mouth on question time. The problem we've got with this is that Meghan has agreed to be Harry's wife, and then the press have torn her to pieces. <laughs> and let's, let's be really clear about what this is. Let's call it by its name. It's racism. She's a black woman, and she has been it's torn not racism. to pieces. You can't she just... has been torn to pieces. It's not racism. It absolutely no, it's is. Not. We're the most tolerant, lovely country uh, uh, in Europe. Let's Says celebrate our women. It's so easy to throw the charge of racism at everybody, and it's really starting what to get boring. What worries me about your comment is you are a white, privileged male who has oh, no experience. I can't I, help what I am. I was born like this. It's an immutable so you, characteristic. So, so to call cannot, me a white privileged male is to be racist. You're being racist. You cannot dismiss. Okay, okay.
Mm. So I was called to be denounced the next morning. I was, you know, I was already a figure and I knew that I was never going to stop saying what needed, what I felt needed to be said. So at the end of the day, when I walk down the street, I get stopped frequently and people just say thank you very much. And weirdly, disproportionately by people of colour who go, thank you for talking about us like we're equals and we don't need to be patronised by the white middle class. And I think in terms of my hate figure, my hate figure status is assured by the fact that I'm straight, white and male. And the fact that I'm posh doesn't help either. And I don't mind talking about race. I don't mind talking about... um, your gender stuff. I don't mind talking about anything. And they're like, hang on, you're the enemy. Shut up. And I'm like, no. But isn't it also as well, Lawrence, to be fair, it's some of the language that you use in, <laughs> in the tweets where you go, I know what he's saying. I agree with what he's saying, but this could be done in a, in a manner that is less inflammatory. Yeah, but you want the conversation. I want the, I mean, I don't want the conversation. I want other people to have the conversation. You know, that's what I want to have. So, I, I mean, give me a tweet and I'll, and I'll explain it to you. Right, okay. okay. But th- th- we don't do this, yeah, though, yeah, right? Yeah, we don't yeah, sit, yeah. like, yeah. We, yeah. we're not, you know, we're not the mainstream media. We didn't come here no, with no. a bunch of hit pieces no, 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 to do on you. No, 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 I know. Yeah. But I, I, I think you probably know what we mean, though, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, 100%, but I do that deliberately. But that, I, that, but, but this is why I'm, I'm not sitting here and Francis isn't going, yeah. or Lawrence Fox is, you know. Whatever. No, no, I know you're not. I know yeah. you're not. You, you, you do it deliberately and we're trying to understand the strategy, I suppose. Well, I think the strategy is you get you immediately attract the huge amount of interest into what you're saying yeah. and people start debating each other very hard mm-hmm. over a certain issue. And also what you're doing is you're, as I said, you're holding a line. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, I, instead of going, I want to have a conversation about whether I think it's all right for to transition children, it's like, it's evil and satanic. That's what I think of it. So I just go, well, I might as well, why, why dither around, get to the point and just say it. Um, I do think that there are some, you know, the, I've probably tweeted about 10 times tweets that I've re- regretted. Mm. But... Um, you know, because I could have, I don't regret the point I was trying to make, I just regret the way I expressed it. But, um, you know, Twitter's Twitter. That's what it is. It's a sort of fantasy land of mad people. Doesn't bring out the best in anyone, does it? Well, no. also, it, you know, I, and I suppose they, they, I, was, I, I was interested to know whether there was an effect of the fact that the amount of abuse you get then sort of transmogrifies its way into the amount of the way you present. Mm. You know, because if, if you are under that level of sustained assault, you you like get your maces out and your nunchucks and you're wearing them around your your word weapons to go back at them because you just go I am impregnable, which is hard because human beings aren't impregnable. You know we're all we all have feelings even if you're an alt right fascist Nazi like me. You know we still <laughs> we still have feelings. So I had to explain this to a woman the other day who I was interviewing myself for mm. the GB and she sat down and she just character assassinated me. And, um, you know, she, and she got to the point where she was saying um, that my mother was a coward. And my mum's dead. She just died two years ago. And I, and after about 15 minutes of it, and my hand was just going, I just had to stand up and I just had to go, I've, no, no one has upset me that much in years. I'm a human being. You have no right to speak to me like that. You've, you've, you have no argument to make if you can't remember that the person you're speaking to is a human being. So I suppose Twitter is not really, you're not speaking to human beings, you're broadcasting. It's a sort of, you know, 
I broad, it's a broadcast medium for me. Mm-hmm. You were also saying in your Twitter yesterday, you were saying, um, not that I obsessively stalk your Twitter, <laughs> but weirdly... Since it's the, good to know someone reads it. But yeah. Weirdly, since Elon Musk took over, yours now appears in my feed, yeah. which he never did before. Mm-hmm. And you were saying, I want to engage with yeah. people and I miss it. And as you're following Grace... It's very difficult. It, it, you just can't sift and it And I out. really miss it, man, because the thing about Twitter is it gives people like all of us an opportunity to connect with that person on the street who's walking along and doing whatever. But once you get to a point where your audience is big enough, you, you've acquired so many hate followers, it's, you end up having to sift through all of it. And as you change, and this is why I uh, I am pushing myself to, to try and be more, as, and I'm not denigrating another approach, but to be more quote unquote constructive in the way that I conceive of it, because I can see in my own brain the temptation, mm. which is I get a lot of hate, I I can I can I I look I'm smart and I can be cutting and funny and whatever I can I can make fun of people and I can destroy them, but I I don't want to follow that instinct for me more than anything. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's why I've that's why we're having this conversation with you and that's why we've we're having this uh, argument with Matt Walsh. Because I'm trying to work out what the right way forward is. It's not like I've come in and gone. Lawrence Fox must do this or Matt Walsh mm. must do this. Just got questions. More well, than the, the interesting to so say is that there is an interesting thing. I was I would have said it at the end, but we might as well say it now. That that on our side, it's not our side. This is the whole problem. You know, we've got to be mm. on human humanity's side. But on the side of of. Re- of loving and respecting people as individuals, mm. you have to also allow them that peace to go about their business. Matt mm. Walsh, if, if that's his position on transgenderism, it's it's very entrenched. You kind of have to go, okay. Because what happens if you don't, I mean, I'm not saying that you guys do this, I'm saying that a lot of people do do this, is you develop what, the, what I would say is the right-wing version of what wokery is, which is the same sense of moral probity and purity and demands for absolute consistency and adherence to a certain set of values and ideals. So I am, that does sort of weigh in my head as well to go, you know, you don't want to be guilty of, you know, attacking other people because they're not quite adhering to your version Mm. of how one should and shouldn't communicate. I would say on the freedom of expression side, you need the broadest possible church. And that involves a few um, punches, a few Matt Walsh's, who I don't agree with about a lot of things, but I agree with him on some of the sounder stuff that he says. And it involves, you know, the more the more reasoned. I mean, even Lex Friedman, who doesn't really sort of, and Joe Rogan, those sort of people who just sort of are reaching out for information. And I suppose what you guys do, because you've spoken so much to so many people, is you naturally are absorbing and storing a great amount of information and energy from the people that you speak to. And you and you know, so you're probably in a stage of evolution that one would one gets to when one listens to a multitude of opinions and stuff like that. I think part of the problem as well with Twitter is because it's text-based you remove 90% of communication because it's literally just reading something. And when people talk about you to me, they're like, he's this, he's that. And I'm like, he's none of those things. Yeah, I know. But you just go on Twitter. He's not a nice guy at all. (laughs) (laughs) he's not a nice guy. Terrible human being. (laughs) And they just show that, like, and they they talk about Twitter. But the problem is Mm. you remove 90% of the communication. Now, as a person, you're very warm. Yeah. You're very open. You're very playful. Those those are some of the best qualities a human, a human being can have, in my opinion. I love watching you on GB News where you bring on 
uh, a person who, shall we just say, is woke or progressive or whatever you want to say, and you have a discussion with them, I find those interviews riveting. Every time they come out, I will sit down and watch it because I think they're genuinely brilliant. Yeah, and I love those. I, I, I say to the GB News people, never get me on someone I agree with. Yeah. Because I'm only interested in people I don't agree with. Yeah, and it's brilliant and you're, you're fantastic with them. The, th the thing that sometimes when you see the Twitter aspect, I don't think it represents who you are as a person, if I'm honest. Mm. It doesn't marry the Lawrence that I know with this digital avatar, shall we just say. I think that is my issue with it. I mean, people do say that about me as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I think, and I think it's totally fair enough. I suppose, I wonder if, I, you know, I, I reckon there's probably an element of the actor yeah. in there. Mm. In, in the performance, you go out and go, Twitter is like your little stage where you sort of perform. So, mm. you know, you've put on a, you put on your armour and you go out there and you deal with it. Yeah, it is interesting. You're not the only people that say this to me. Yeah. I've had a conversation with my brother once in a while. He's like, he just finds out, and he, he, I get WhatsApp in the morning and he goes, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, but also um, bear in mind that I had quite a, a substantial and dramatic shift in life, mm. Mm. you know, and I'm just coming to terms with what it is that I want to achieve. Mm. It mm. takes time. So Twitter for me is a battering ram to work out just to go, right, I, these are the places that need defending. This is a major, major problem. You know, so if you get the... the and it also, I'm a sort of a counterbalance to the fact that if you turn on the mainstream media... They're constantly inviting the same people on all the time. Correct. So you'll have Yasmin Alibi-Brown, who called me a racist on television, mm. live television, you know, and I'm like, what? Where's your evidence of this? Mm. And then, you know, the, what's that lady, Dr. Shola, mm. who's sitting there going, white BAFTAs, it's all white, white, white. And it's just like, calm down, darling. So I just take the piss at them yeah. by putting up a picture of the... African Oscars and going, there's a huge lack of diversity here. <laughs> and, you know, but it's hit and miss. Yeah. Yasmin Ali by Brian, funny story. When, do you remember when I turned down that contract all, like, all those yeah, many yeah, yeah. years ago? Uh, she was on a show to, to discuss this and she said, oh yeah, I've seen this comedian and it's really not very nice. <laughs> and, then, and then they played a clip of my stand-up and they just cut to her going, oh, that was quite funny actually. <laughs> no, she'd never seen any of my stuff, but she was quite happy to... To, to say stuff. You know, one of the interesting points you bring up, which I totally agree with, and, and I think it's actually important for us ourselves and for everyone watching to remember is like every person is going through some kind of process, mm. you know, and uh, we're all on some kind of journey. Like you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't plan to be here five years ago and neither did we, frankly, you mm. know. So we're all constantly trying to work out. And by the way, all of this stuff is like, when I was, how many of us got educated at university about like transgenderism? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I did the, do a drama degree. <laughs> well, it's pretty much, pretty but much even, at, even at RADA, they didn't. Yeah, yeah, it. no, it, it was a it joke. It didn't go near it, it was never an issue. And suddenly no. there's like a big societal issue and we're all supposed to have exactly the right opinion. And if you are woke, you're, you were supposed to go, yes, everyone's transgender and non-binary and fluid and whatever. And increasingly on the right, it's like you must use this language and not that language. And, and that purity you're talking about, we're all to some extent susceptible to it. Um, and that's why I think conversation is, is important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, as I said, I only really want to, on the GB thing, because it's, you know, it's an hour and you don't really get, I just want people who I, who I don't agree with. Because I also, I'm, I'm very open to being persuaded of the grey area. 
Mm. No man's land. I will negotiate no man's land with anybody. But what I can't negotiate is my own border, my own personal border. And that is the meaning of words. Mm. I don't like words when they're shifted around and really find it appalling that, you know, mm. poor old Roald Dahl's having his books rewritten when he was deliberately trying to wind up kids and make them rebellious against their parents by using these sort of quite extreme, you know, what nowadays is seen extreme and potentially offensive language. Um, and that for me is a border. And that we need borders. Everybody needs a mm. border because, you know, as Muskie said the other day, he said, if you've got one world government with one civilization and that falls then what's going to replace it? You know, civilizations have to come and civilizations have to have to go. And, you know, I think we've, we've, as you say, we have this sort of leaky border, leaky cultural border where things come into this country which has never really been an issue. And actually, I don't think we're, we're a, you know, like since the last time we spoke, I think it's got infinitely worse. Mm. And I think I said last time when we spoke, I said, it's going to get infinitely worse. And it's, and it's not even, we're not even anywhere near the peak of it yet. I mean, I think Sturgeon was a was a, a marker in the sand mm. that even sane people would turn around and go, it's definitely not a good idea to lock up a rapist with a bunch of women. That's probably a bad idea. And I think the backlash to that was was good. Mm. But I don't think we've reached peak. Of, you don't? No. I mean, on the trans thing in the UK, at least, it seems like we're making good progress. You know, Tavistock being shut down mm. and investigated and so on. Mm. But you, you don't think this is... This I is did, I, the transgender thing is just is just a vector for it. It's not... It's never been about transgender rights or gay and lesbian rights because otherwise, why do you have to lump them all in together? Because gay, everyone's an individual. So why do you have to... Why, why gays and lesbians and bisexual and transgender people in a group? with a plus plus on the end of it it's about uh you know the, it's about power and control the whole thing isn't it it's about authoritarian kind of you know communist socialist style dragging everyone down to being exactly the same sort of thing and it just uses these vectors to to work its way into society so it started off with you know all the me too's and and the racism and black lives matter and transgenderism and it's going to move pretty swiftly on to mental health now, which is going to be so impossible to, um, which is why I try and talk, start to talk about it a bit more, because I think it's important that we remind everybody that we're human beings, because that's what's most dangerous, is that with this, this the, the woke thing, whatever it is, very difficult to quantify it, is going to go into mental health primarily, I'd imagine, and you won't be able to say anything because of the damage it will actually physically do to someone's mental health. So you think it's that's going to become the next battlefield where that's, people are going to say, you can't say that I have depression. You can't say that I have depression or, or what you've just said has given me depression or has damaged my brain in some way and has hurt me in a way which mm. is medical. Mm. Um, but it's obviously unquantifiable because it's unquantifiable. And then, then that's really bad because if you sort of medicalise it and you're, it's actually doing someone's actual health, because uh, they'll make it, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll sort of cross-pollinate it with your physical health as well. And it'll be like, you just can't say anything because you're actually really injuring someone. I know they, the words of violence thing mm -hmm. exists already, but it's it hasn't been properly, that, that rich seam of wokeness is yet to be mined, I don't think. And you're talking about a grey area, Lawrence. What are the grey areas for you that are up for debate? <clears throat> um, abortion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is uh, one up for debate? Um, for the consequences of freedom of speech? Stuff like, um, can language be violent? Can, can language be hateful? All of these sorts of areas I'm happy to talk about. Um, 
What else is a grey area? Um, sexual politics. I'm happy to be persuaded about. I'm happy to be talk, to talk about privilege. Mm. I'm I'm not that interested in talking about skin colour privilege because mm. I don't think it's relevant because I think yeah there are lots of different privileged is. Um, I'd say that those are sorts of areas. Let's talk about privilege because yeah. uh, to an outsider, and maybe it's objectively true, you are like literally the most privileged person they've ever seen yeah. on TV. <laughs> right? You know, you're a posh white guy, went to Harrow, Rada, actor, you know, from an acting dynasty, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Right. And that is actual privilege, isn't it? Real, genuine, class A privilege, that is. Yeah. You know, it's the uncut privilege. Um, uh, it's, yeah, absolutely, 100%. There's a couple of things that go with it, though. One is it's immutable, so you have no say in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't get any say in to how I was born. And B, it's a socioeconomic thing mm-hmm. and an educational thing, yeah. way yeah. ahead of the fact that it's a skin colour thing. Of course. You know, yeah. so, so on that level, yeah, I'm very happy. Almost one of, the, uh, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I realise how privileged I am. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... It, Unless you get into politics because you want to get into politics because you want to have power and control over other people or, you know, if you're really interested in trade deals and you want to affect that, I'm only in it to to represent the voice of your average Joe whose voice never gets represented. You're Darren Brady who just goes, what are your thoughts on this mm. transgender thing? So, yeah, I, I think privilege is, is real, but also you can... It, the more well, the question the is what do you do with it. Like Jordan Peterson interviewed me recently and we talked about this, which was... Privilege exists, uh, different, and it's primarily, as you say, socioeconomic, particularly in this country, and class-based to some extent, which is slightly different, but almost the same. Mm. Um, but the question is, okay, well, you're privileged. Like, w- what are you supposed to do? Jump off a bridge now? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, that's what they want. They would like it. Yeah, <laughs> but actually, you know, I mean, the, the, this is why the conversation we have about privilege is so stupid because rather than one side pretending that no, no one's ever privileged and the other side pretending that privilege is given to you by virtue of pigmentation in your skin, actually you go, well, people grow up in different circumstances. Now what? Now what? What do we do with this now? Now that we've established that different people don't have the same chance in life, which they never ever in history have done and never will in the future ever because it's impossible. What do we do now? What do we do with it? And I think part of the answer is you, you, you do something that you think is constructive, particularly for people who don't have as much as you or didn't have the same start in life, isn't yeah. it? And, and also, but we get, we, we've got genetic privilege. Oh, absolutely. You know? well, some more than others. <laughs> <laughs> You're but, tall and handsome. Darling, I am, um, you know, I've, I, had a, I, I have a very, very rich friend who got diagnosed with cancer on his 20th birthday and died 20 years later of in absolute uncontrollable agony, having lived in agony for 20 years. But he was minted. Mm. Really nice house and lovely cars and everything. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, well done, mate. But um, his life was not privileged in any way whatsoever. So privilege is a very subtle thing. And I think I, I, I'm really, you know, you're talking about trying to be constructive. I, I care about that bit in the Bible that says love your enemies. I, because I think just as a philosophical and emotional exercise, it is absolutely where your brain should be. Mm-hmm. How can I find love for them? Because if I can love them, then I can listen to them. But at the same time, it's very, very, very hard when you are being goaded relentlessly by the other side. All, not the other side. (laughs) 
it's so difficult, but it does feel like another side. Yeah, because, of course it does. You know, especially someone like me who had their career just ripped away. From, you know, I every, I was removed, wasn't I? You know, surgically removed mm. very quickly from from culture for not having the right opinions. So it does feel like there is a, but you know, these we we're being goaded a lot. You know, and and it's it's difficult not to retaliate to that. Yeah, but we should actually focus more on trying to love them. Well, this is why this is why we were having the conversation about Twitter earlier because I suppose from their perspective they would say that you are goading them. Yeah, and which they, I am. and they are reacting to you, and that's why we get into this. Which I am. Which you are. Yeah, because I'm using the same. I'm using exactly the same tool back at them. Mm. I'm pointing out the utter absurdity of what they stand for and how unbelievably dangerous what they're playing with is. It's extremely dangerous to do what is being attempted, you know, by not even in a democratically elected way. Mm. Certainly, you know, Oxford being an example, or what they're filling kids' heads within schools. And, you know, or immigration policy. Nobody voted for the policies that we currently have. Exactly. Why don't you, why can't you just take Article 8 and 10 out of the HCR and just, you know, why doesn't this happen? And you start to realise that actually this is, you know, there's an established there's an establishment which protects itself and no one's really going to take these cultural problems on you know because it's too scared of them but actually i mean lee anderson said that the tories will go after the cultural issues didn't he because he said that will have to that will be one of the things that will get them elected so even if they do do that the tories my job will have been worthwhile because i will have played some part in that because you know i've stoked those culture wars mm. and i've brought them right to the front of attention and i suppose if you're asking why why i do it with such a mallet and a, and a baseball bat because i don't think there's that much time uh for this to to, to stop it we polled the other day a load of teachers uh, sorry a load of parents about what their kids were being taught in school so we we gave them options about what were being taught in school and 70 percent of the parents of this generation 39 to 54 or whatever it is were absolutely against what was being taught to their kids, kids in school, certainly in regards to DIE, um, gender ideology, skin colour privilege, that sort of thing. They were totally against it. But the generation down, 50% of them think it's a brilliant idea. So 50% of them want socialism. That's what they want. They're keen for it. They want the state to be in charge. They want, they don't want any personal autonomy. You know, and that's worrying. So you know, that's why I say, look, there's 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 a war on the suppression of free expression, which is mm. where which is where democracy dies anyway. And you need in that war, you're going to need you know idiots like me who jump out the trench and go whirling towards the enemy, <laughs> and just go, bum, 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 blattered, so that the generals and the careful strategists can go right. Well, we let's not attack from that side next time. <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting metaphor. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we, we were talking about freedom of expression and GB News um, have come under fire, particularly with uh, the case of Mark Stein. You had a very interesting point of view on it. What, what, what was it? It was one of the few times I was sensible. Um, I think that, I mean, I think Ofcom as an idea, uh, okay, actually what you're asking me a question, let me assume that people don't know what, what happened. Anyway, Mark Stein was uh, offered a contract for... Uh, that said because he's a he's he's a supplier to the channel mm. he's not an employee so they said right if you're a supplier to the channel and you mess up and you get fired fined by ofcom because you mm. misread a bit of data or you don't represent the other side of the argument or whatever you're going to be liable for those fines that was a negotiation 
number one. Stephen Crowder did the same thing with the Daily Wire. It's like, don't publicise contract negotiations straight away. I think that's a slightly crass yeah. thing to do, and it's it's a sign of weakness. They did treat him appallingly, in my view, uh, based on the fact that he had just had two heart attacks, yeah. and it was really bad. Anyway, my take on it is, you should have the other side of the argument. If Ofcom demand that you have the other side of the argument, that's good. And Ofcom are going after this poor, you know, ITV and BBC who after this poor, is it Nicola Bully? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I don't think Ofcom, I think Ofcom are the enemy. But I think uh, if we care about free expression, then we, we should absolutely represent the other side in in debate. And Mark made two uh, had two problems with Ofcom and GB News. I can understand it if they're going to be fi- uh, f- find a percentage of their annual turnover when they've already got hope not hate campaigning twenty four hours a day to stop them getting any advertisers. Then I think that you know Mark should go should have maybe just held his hands up and said, okay, let's negotiate this contract. And I, for that, I was vilified but by the right-wing wokists well, this who is demand absolute moral probity. And you, if you don't agree with us on vaccines, on this, on this, and it's like you're playing into their hands, guys. Mm. Well, the one thing that we celebrate is our is the fact that all of us are different, and and that we encourage that. It also means that we can not learn. anymore get in line. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it's exactly it's what happens. It's you know history is replete with this stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, everyone got very upset with me about that. But I stand by it. I think, you know, I think Mark Stone is a great broadcaster. I think he made it, he, he misread some data on TV and it will have affected people's lives. That's why I stay the hell away from data. Because I don't know, you know, I don't do data. You give me, you know, the, an easy sum and I'll get in trouble with it. So, you know, if he chose to do it, they defended him, but they're renegotiating his contract. They have every right. Lawrence, do you think also that's such a good point about the data aspect of it? Because I see a lot of commentators, and this this, this is not GB News, this is commentators across the board. They'll go on to talk about, one week they'll talk about vaccines. The next week they'll talk about Ukraine. The next week they're talking about NHS. Then they're talking about the migrant crisis. And the week after that, the economy. And I'm like, either you are some next level genius (laughs) who has a fundamental understanding of each of these subjects brought about by years of discipline, intellectual rigor and study. Or more likely. (laughs) (laughs) Or more likely you're you're grifting. You're integral. Yeah, yeah. And don't you think that is the problem as well? Yeah. And also, I think it's a circular thing. So Mm. your list of things that they go and talk about, and then they start again the next Monday, Yeah, which is a real shame. Yeah. No, I think one must operate from a a position of, uh, you know, Occam's razor is Mm. probably quite a good place to start with these things. And then, um, yeah, stay away from data, leave data, because data is easy. Everyone's got a bit of data mm. I, I i adopt always just i i sort of adopt the which is can get me into trouble the gun to the head philosophy mm. it's like yes or no bill gates yes or no no um you know pandemic is it going to kill seven hundred fifty thousand people no you know it's just i just i i kind of just i operate on an instinct and my instincts are quite simple and it's confined to only a few areas mm. really so i don't go out there and try and bombard people with data the only data i'm actually interested in at the moment out of all the data is the excess deaths data that mm. does interest me because i'm like hang on a minute um if there's that many excess deaths now and there were 
that many excess deaths during what was referred to as a pandemic, then if we'd never declared a pandemic, would there ever have been a pandemic? Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, so I am interested in it on a on a sort of philosophical level. I'm like, they declared a pandemic, but now we've got a load of excess deaths. Now, I wouldn't go into going, it's all vaccine arms, or it's all this, or it's all that, or it's because I, I don't know. But I would go, that's quite interesting. And also, why is no one talking about it? I think that's such a profound point. The fact that A, no one's talking about it, but yet as well, there are people on both left and, well, they're not left and right. They're people on both sides of the argument yeah. who purport to know what is actually going on when you talk to people who actually understand this. They're scientists, they're doctors, they're epidemiologists, whatever. And they will, the people who actually know will go, we don't know. Multifaceted, mm. hugely, like everything. It's hugely multifaceted and everything affects everything else. It's why it's sort of easy just to fall back and go, what What do I, I have instincts and I believe yeah. that those instincts have got me into all the trouble I've ever got into. <laughs> Never <laughs> listen to them again, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I guess what we're talking about, this is one of the reasons I generally don't do panel shows anymore because you're going to get asked questions about things you don't understand and there you are in front of a camera having to, you know, pretend to have an opinion about this stuff. And it, I found that it forced me to have opinions about things I don't have an opinion about. Mm. And it's just, so those instincts, we actually, I mean, uh, Brett, uh, Brett Weinstein and I had a discussion about this a long time ago, which is like, how do you know what you think you know? And when it comes to something like the pandemic or COVID or vaccines or whatever, is basically you listen to certain people whom you, you trust. Mm. Why you trust them is uh, very... Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I do in a way, but actually I remember getting called by a journalist before they uh, it was public knowledge the, you know, what was going to happen in terms of COVID. And probably a week before it was announced and they said, this is what's going on. You mean before the first lockdown? No, no, before it was even an issue. Mm. They, a journalist who I knew well phoned me and said, this thing's coming to the UK. It's a mega killer. Well, like in January 2020. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I just said, no, it's not. It's it's not. It's not going to be that bad. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's just a, just a bit of flu. It turns out I was quite wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but it will, it, you know, I don't know. It's so, I think those, what, you know, how do you know what you know? I think a lot of it's experience. Mm -hmm. So for example, I realised the other day that I can't watch films that don't start with a man asleep on a bed with a bottle of whiskey next to him who wakes up coughing, lights a cigarette, gets a call from his divorced wife who says that he owes her alimony and then he goes and saves the world. Those are the only films I can watch. <laughs> and Bruce Willis or Denzel Washington needs to be in them. The narrator yeah. says, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, ah, right, you're going to save the world. And you know, everything bad that could possibly happen. Is that, that why you're a big fan of Hunter Biden, Lawrence? <laughs> oh, Hunter, bless him. Oh, I'm not a fan of his. Yeah. I've only just got my voice back, actually, from that fake crack. Yeah. And it's still, yeah, still, that really did me. I lost a stone in weight smoking. Did you enjoy stuff. having a stint of acting back? Was, was that? Loved it, but I didn't allow myself to enjoy it too much because I knew it was a fleeting fancy and a sabbatical away from the cancellation. And uh, I, You really can't go back to acting? Well, I'd love to. I don't mean, like, I don't mean as in you're not capable of acting. You know yeah, yeah, I mean. yeah. No, I'd love to. No one would have you. No, God no. Acting is like you know if you if you're talking about the uh, the crucible of all of this inclusivity, acting's where it's at. You know, it's right. It's it's the it's you know you're never going to break that apart. And let me ask you a question on that because one of the things we found, uh, you know, when we started trigonometry, two comedians on the British comedy circuit, 
Uh, we were instantly evil, you know, right wing, all this other stuff that's just not true about us. Mm-hmm. It's been five years. And we start to get messages now from the very people that used to have a go at us going, you know what? <laughs> I didn't agree with you, but... Uh, and, you know, sort of... Do you not get those messages from actors and directors going, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I didn't quite agree, but mm, there's something to this whole... Is that not happening? Oh, I get a lot of messages from actors saying I agree with everything you say. Right. But um, I'm never, ever going to tell anyone I do. So... Right. You know, the, you know, the censorship in show business is it's, well, it's one, another one of the reasons why I go, yeah, would I love to go back to acting? Yeah, but would I like to stand on set going, I can't say anything? I can't, what, what can I, what, it's not, art is not conducive to that. Art, is, no. art, art, art also shouldn't be running alongside culture. Art should be smacking it on that. You know, that, A- I think that's absolutely. probably where my, where my attitude comes from, which is that art is meant to I- expose the ridiculousness of, of the current culture. And it's actually one of the greatest weapons to stop, you know, mono, monoculturism and, you know, sort of this cultural Marxism infecting us all. So it's one of those things where you mock and ridicule it or you, you carefully attack it. You know, the brilliant playwrights have done throughout the years. So... Um, it's a shame, actually. I mean, bar a few exceptions, that art is just on, a, it's on the same train track, just five feet to the side, going, we're against the culture. Well, the like, art oh, is right. actually running in front of the train. Yeah, it is. Well, woke, wokeness has to run in front of the train because, you know, look, look at them. They, they, you, unless you're the fastest sprinter towards the uh, utopia of wokedom, mm. it's, it's game over. Stephen Fry. Poor, poor sod. Yeah, he's it, got he's got in the shit for actually. What's he done now? So problem. yeah, so um, we were going to talk about it on our raw show. So basically, he did a I think it was a charity dinner or something like that for the MCC, the cricket. I'm not posh enough to know. Basically, the cricket, whatever. <laughs> you, you can do this, Ben Lawrence. Come on, cricket ball. Tell us about the cricket. <laughs> he did. Um, he did a. He did a speech. He made a joke. He, you know, obviously, you want to do it. But again, Paige, he made a joke about women. He said, "There's no, you know, and I think it was actually pro women, yeah, which was weird because someone, but again, the Jordan. What was the joke? The joke was something like, "There are no women here because they're all off shagging." No, no, no. It was uh, so. Okay, it's lovely to be here. There's no women here, so let's talk about shagging. Oh, right, exactly. There you go. So let's talk about shagging. Is he getting cancelled for that? No, he then there's a cricket team which is called the uh, Abracadabras or something like that, or it had a a complicated name, and he called the Aliwak bars. Anyway, someone complained and, you know, the Jordan Peterson thing happened. You know, if you talk to a room full of 10 people, someone's going to be offended. But um, I think the MCC have pushed back. I mm. sense that they pushed back. But Stephen Fry will now have that little taint on his hand that is difficult to remove. And, you know, if you're not running far ahead of them with your new latest idea... Um, You'll never be pure enough for that. No, but no. we've got to stop it on the other side of the argument. I couldn't agree with you more because I'm. And this is why, uh, perhaps sometimes I can be oversensitive to people who are anti woke going slightly, in my opinion, off the deep end because I worry about that part of becoming. You know, you, there there is many ways that the right is becoming the wokeified in the same way because as we talked about. You know, when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you and we adopt the same tactics and the same purity spirals. And you, and 
to some extent, you could say we're guilty of it, but also people are like, you must use the right pronouns. Well, there are some trans people who say, I'd like to be called she, and I like that person, and I'll call them a she. Fine. You know Go what? For I, it. But well, you say fine. Yeah. There's a bunch of people online. <laughs> who are, no, you are now cancelled. But I, I also understand their argument. I understand and I, their and argument. I support their argument. So because if you go, well, if you stay she and you acknowledge transgenderism, what's next? So I get what they're trying to do. do. That's their border. But I still have the right to choose my words. 100%. And the reason I'm sitting in this chair five years from starting trigonometry is at one point I said, no, no, fuck you. I'm not letting you, the woke comedy industry, tell me what I should say and think. 100%. And I'm going to be like that with the left, right, up, down, whatever. People like us should have the ability to choose their own words and think for themselves. And people can argue and criticize and whatever, but I'm never going to have people telling me what to think or what to do. Which is exactly the right way to do. And we must, that is one of the ways that we love one another is we say you have that right and we protect it for other people. And, you know, we, and ultimately you protect it for the, for the horrible people. That's who you're protecting it for, most, weirdly, for the people you hate, not hate, but the people that you, you, just, you cannot connect with or find any common ground with. You have to protect them. It's your job. It's loving them. And it's really hard. Mm. And I just, I don't think, I think it's probably a lifetime's work and more, which is why it exists, this idea, you know, and it just sticks up. Every morning I wake up and I think, love your enemies. What? (laughs) (laughs) How? But then you see someone suffer, someone you really don't agree with suffer, and you start to feel a sense of, real compassion and, and you know, even a warming sense of love. Like, I'd hate to see someone who's... Any of the people that have tried to have me cancelled, I'd hate to see any of them suffer. Yeah. I really wouldn't. So, you know, when you were asking about how I am, I think fundamentally how I am is good. Mm. I think the, the, the building blocks of my nature and my personality are strong and really good. But I think I'm very sensitive. And I think people don't understand I am. And I probably don't do myself any favours <laughs> on Twitter by going, you know, I'm not sensitive at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we need, that's where the, the ground will be, is when we can get to the point of going, I love you. No matter, as long as you're not trying to kill anybody, you know, I love you. It's, and I will it, support you. It's, it comes back to Christ on the cross. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Mm, I think so. I mean, it's not a bad, even if you don't believe in God and yeah. you don't have a faith, it's not a bad manual for living. Like no. Proverbs and all, that, and all this sort of stuff. It's not a bad thing, this idea that somebody else has died mm. so that you can be a bastard to everybody. You know, and it's this modern infection of going, you know, I meet a lot of people who go, I'm just a, I'm just a really good person. You know, I know I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm like, you're fucking deluded yeah. if you think you're a good person. Because if you, if I started spouting half the shit that went on in my head and it, just yeah. things that people say to you, you know you're not a good person. That's why you've got to talk all the time mm-hmm. and you've got to express and you've got to connect with people because you've got to find how you can be a better person from the, you know, lovely made in the image of Christ that you are, but the fundamentally pretty simple creature that we all are. Mm. As well. And I think that's why the, uh, see, this is, I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't oppose wokeness even as much because of the ideology as I do because of the tactics, right? Because if a woke person came on TV and said, you know what, I believe in intersectionality and transgenderism and mm. all of this stuff, and I could say, well, I don't. Let's have a discussion about this. 
I have absolutely no problem with that conversation happening. What I have a problem with is being made to be evil and a bad person and having my life destroyed and people who are not in the position of having a big YouTube channel or whatever, having their lives destroyed for wanting to challenge those ideas. It's the tactics that bother me as much as the ideology. And look, people can, people have always disagreed about politics, right? Mm. There, there will always be the, the, the people who are more progressive and they want change for the sake of change or they believe change is good in and of itself. And there are people who, who think that's less wise to a, an approach. And that's because people are born with different personality types and their life experiences are different. That will always happen. But the tactics that we've got to a position now where it's like, you disagree with me? What the fuck is wrong with you? You're an evil person. That's what bothers me. And that's why I'm very sensitive to same things happening on the right yeah. or the anti-woke yeah. or wherever it is, because I see the same tactics now starting to be used. And that I think should worry us actually. Well, I couldn't agree with you more because there's a, there's an appetite for revenge yes. that yes. comes when those tactics are used. Yes. So I suppose what I've, I've been trying to do is think about what, wokeness is and how what's good about it and it's really interesting as a thought exercise because i haven't really done that i haven't had time to do it i've been too busy doing my great tweets right? <laughs> yeah. um, and you know of course you want to make the world a better place of course you want to be more you want to include people more and and you and you know especially the most vulnerable in society but as you say that that's that may be their agenda deep down mm. what what drives them as a human being just as valuable and important as you and I but those tactics as you say are are, are they're, they're a they're disingenuous mm. they're intellectually corrupt as well a lot of their the ways that they do things and b they use the the, the tactics that they use are, are tactics you tend not to find being used up till this point that as we're saying we, you get a bit more worried you know that matt walsh video which i saw again this morning when he says what he says about what he would do to someone who came near his children that is you know that you only have to have, he's got a huge following that mm. guy you know and it, it only takes one we'll play the movie forward yeah, yeah. you know play yeah. the movie forward that's the worry yeah know? that's the worry so we've, yeah. we 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 got to we we have to just reach across to those that can be reached across to. Yes. And then we'll leave the extremes on either side to cancel each other out. That's what I think they will do. They will just cancel each other out. But we can't we, we can't have culture revolving and uh, and you know society revolving around one of these or either of these extremes at the same time. So everyone in the middle is homeless, which is what we've you know you guys started doing this for, which was to have interesting honest conversations with interesting people which leads to which is why people care about what you do because and, you're not picking a side and absolutely Lawrence says because I love talking to you about culture and the art and you did a film uh which is my son Hunter with the Daily Wire yeah and no not with Daily Wire I did it with um it, I did it with it, Breitbart released it oh Breitbart released it yeah. now you've got what is starting to happen in the culture, which is inevitable, really, where you've got progressive, where mainstream art is progressive, left-wing, woke, whatever you want to call it. And now you've got this other, so you've got art which is starting to be produced by the Daily Wire, etc. Where do you think this goes? Is this a positive thing to have art which is expressly left or right? And is there something that we can do to kind of maybe have art which is apolitical, which is what I think is better. I'm just interested to hear your point of view. 
I think it's, yeah, I, I, I think that we didn't notice how political art was, mm. you know? I didn't notice. So, you know, if you look at the films made during the Reagan era, mm-hmm. they're very one sort of type of film. You know, and you look at the films made when I was growing up, you know, Bruce Willis lying drunk on the bed, gets up and has saved the world. It's sort of, it imprints in you. I think that with the incredible rise in technology, you we're going to see films made for a lot less money, yeah. ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got that amazing little gizmo there, which, you know, on a film set, I was there when the first slider turned up on a film set and everyone was like, <gasps> and they can buy one off Amazon. You know, so I think we're going to see lots more films made. I, I think what would be, and the, weirdly, the Hollywood bubble will become just more of a bubble where money is spent on films that not many people watch and they all give each other a round of applause. So their nature abhors a vacuum and there will be films that come along. I've Someone sent me a script the other day, but we're still in the early stages of the, of the um, other part of culture cause, and they're all about like, I've written a film about the vaccine. <laughs> okay, just hit me out. Next one, it's like, I've written a film about a fake pandemic. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So it, it, it will need it will need to catch up. But it, I think it's great that you have, you know, in the same way as we're going to have problems with money soon, yeah. aren't we? Because it's, yeah. it's going to vanish. We're going to have the, the, the black market will start to get bigger, won't it? And, you know, people will start trading in different ways. I think culturally what we'll see is a, I think Hollywood is funded by the Chinese anyway. Mm-hmm. So they're never going to run out of money along with sport and all of these things. So we will we will see a rise in independent filmmaking. There are some good independent films. The Banshees of Inisherin was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, they, they, you cannot kill art. You can't, but you also, you, Hollywood is just going to be, I think it's just, I, I find it so irrelevant. Mm. Utterly irrelevant. You know, I, I mean, the, the, someone won an award. What's her name? Kate Branchett won an award for a film called Tar. I'm never going to watch this film. And she went, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's empowering women and it's great. And I was like, I was in the film with you where you played Queen Elizabeth I. I mean, is there a better part? Why are you going on about empowering women? You've had the best sodding career <laughs> ever. <laughs> Why can't you just go thank you and move on instead of having to politicise it about, you know, women in some way? It's boring. So do you think Hollywood is ultimately doomed? I think Hollywood, no, because Hollywood's Hollywood. You know, there's always going to be the, the say, like the same people that go to the National Theatre. And I mean, I don't know, I, I'm unfamiliar with how they're going to do the production of Arthur Miller's The Crucible, but I'm fairly confident they will cross-cast it the women will be the men and the men will be the witches <laughs> and there won't be a single white person in it so there will be there will always be an audience you know that sort of grateful national theatre audience in the same yeah. way as you'll get a grateful Hollywood audience that go me and my highfalutin um, cultural experience and intelligence and you know gentle taste buds for fabulous culture will just carry on applauding it like clapping seals applauding an iceberg. But surely when the accountants come in, they are businesses and they go, look, this is a revenue from the latest film. Disney though, how much did Disney lose? What was it? Four, I don't know what exactly, it's, it's in the billions they lost last year. 
Really? In the billions. And they're still pumping out all of that, you know, woke kids shows. They, I saw one the other day. It's the worst thing about Twitter, isn't it? Also, <laughs> the thing about Twitter is it completely deprives everyone of context. Mm. Yeah. So, but I saw a scene which was actually long enough of this little kid show where he's sitting there going, you only got the prince because you were white. And it's like, Okay, so Disney has lost a lot of money, I, but China pays for it all, doesn't it? You know, that's why you don't get any Chinese villains in anything anymore. It's all Russian villains now. Mm. You don't get any Chinese villains. So uh, China is subsidising the culture. Good opportunity for me. What do you reckon? I need to ask you mm. about this because I, so I was reading your Putin thing, and I, because that's one of the other things I sort of try and stay out of a bit is the Ukraine situation because I know all about geopolitics i understand i understand probably more than someone who knows nothing but i don't understand it seriously why when i was reading through what putin was saying and i was watching what he was saying he was really going at the culture wasn't he the way so he's well, he knows who he's talking to he yeah so he's trying to talk to talk me just explain it to me what, what well there there is a growing and as i think all three of us would agree fairly justified anti-elite sentiment in the west um, and he recognizes that uh, that is a process that's going on in the West. And if he can speak to the people who are anti the elite in the West, that means that he can secure support in the West for whatever it is that he's doing or against whatever it is the elites are doing. Uh, right. I think that's that's. So it's literally that. It's, it's just a clever play. I was just interested. I was like, why is he going after wokeness and culture? So yeah. I thought, out of all the things you could go I on mean, about, I mean, I don't think he's all that concerned about transgender no. clinic in Ohio or whatever it no. is. That that's really not what. Or the the Anglican Church doing very stupid things as the Anglican Church yeah. is doing. But yeah, uh, that, that there isn't really his primary. But he's so he's finding it. He's he's sort of like all successful people. He's trying to find the seam with which he can crack the rock of, exactly. of yeah. Western resistance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's it. That, that's, and uh, the, the, of all the criticisms that people can make of Vladimir Putin, he's not a stupid man. No. Uh, I have many criticisms of the things that he's doing, of course, but uh, he's very smart. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the other thing is, he's uh, this is the weakness of democracy uh, for all its many uh, huge benefits and achievements. Uh, we have short-term leaders who have short-term thinking. Yeah. Vladimir Putin has been in power since 1999. 24 years. He'll probably be in power for another eight years at least. Right. So that, that is a period of time when you can consolidate power. Uh, you can get rid of anyone who's a problem uh, in, in various ways. It doesn't have to be violent, but you can, you can make sure that they're not in the room. Mm. Mm. Um, and then you can implement the agenda that you think uh, and that means that you can simply, you know that Chinese saying the best uh, strategy in war is to sit by the river and wait for the bodies of your enemies to float by? <laughs> you can do that if you've got 30 years. If you're Liz Truss and you've got 44 days, yeah, probably not. So that's a huge advantage. I mean, we've got to a point in the West where I think we, uh, we think that uh, like the values that we have are perfect. Mm. You know, democracy, tolerance, like, and they have no trade-offs. Not really. That That isn't true. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs, is my favorite Thomas Sowell quote. And so dictatorship on authoritarianism has huge advantages when it comes to situations like the ones that we find ourselves in now. And this is why quite often when countries go to war, they in, in, in the Roman Empire, for example, they would quite often not have democracy or not have the system of government that they would have during wartime. 
and they would appoint someone who was essentially a dictator to take them through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in times like these, strong leadership has massive advantages. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And also the comment about waiting for your enemies to float by, because another thing that is that I am learning and I was fortunately told it by a wise man who I, because I've started to consult wise men now, because <laughs> I think it's probably a good idea. Um, and he said, sometimes the best thing to do is just sit on your hands and do nothing. That's hard for young people like us, it, youngish. Well, yeah, because I feel, also I feel guilt, you know, work guilt usually, like we've got to do something, what are we going to do? And I was speaking to this guy and he said, sometimes it's just, you know, the battle, the fight comes to you, man. It's not like you're running around the playground looking for people to punch. They're come, all come. There's a queue of them lining up to punch you in the face. Mm. So you don't need to. You don't need to chase the fight. You need to. You know, and that's I think actually one of the good things. So it is, um, I've not only have I enjoyed talking, but I've also it is a it is a it's a thought I will take away because it's like you don't need to be on a war footing all the time, mm. certainly not for cortisol levels and stress levels mm. within you, but you get quite used to them. Yes. So, so when you get, when you get a, go on summer holiday or something and it's like, what we can do today, have a few beers and go water skiing. It's like, yeah, but, but how are we going to change the way water skiing is done? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's what I mean about the process. You know, it's early in my sort of understanding about what I'm meant to be here to do, yeah. which is sort of a question that we should all ask ourselves all the time. Yeah, and the problem is, is when you start fusing conflict with your identity. Mm. And that's the moment you get into somewhere dark because you start thinking, well, the, what I am here to do is to do X. And all of a sudden, when X isn't available, then what is? Yeah. And what are you faced with? And then you realise that actually you're, what you're doing is externalising what is inside. And until you face what's inside, you're never going to be able to solve the external. And yeah, which is true. And it's also like the, you know, exactly, it's sort of the French Revolution thing of once you start chopping people's heads off, in order for the French Revolution to continue and the terror, we have to chop some more people's heads off. Yeah. You know, it's sort of self-perpetuating. Yeah, I think it's right. But also there is, the the counter argument to that Mm. is is defence rather than attack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the shield versus the sword. Which one is which one is more useful? But both are required. Well, I think it's something that all of us are trying to navigate. So it's, yeah. it's been a pleasure having you back, Lawrence, and talking about all of this. Uh, before we ask uh, questions from our supporters that only they will get to see the answers to on locals that they've already submitted, uh, we've got one final question for you, which is always the same: uh, What is the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? Well, we just talked about it for ages. It's, we did. <laughs> it's, uh, the worrying rise in right-wing, so-called right-wing wokery and loving our enemies. Amen. Uh, Lawrence Fox, thanks for coming back on the show. And uh, guys, thank you for watching and listening. We will see you very soon with another brilliant episode like this one or Raw Show. All of them go out at 7 p.m. UK time. And for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go, it is always available as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. Ask Lawrence if Madonna was batshit mental when he worked with her on the film WE. Oh my lord. This is behind the paywall, so yeah. let it rip. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So.
Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.